Well, good morning to Lakeside folks and, and a welcome to our guests. Uh, doesn't it look beautiful outside? I'm so pleased with, with the work that's been done and how things are progressing right now. And uh, very soon, soon and very soon, I think before Easter, I think when you come in to the church around Easter time, you're going to come into a church that's, that's almost completely uh, coated with the white parge coat uh, to where the brick is going to really look beautiful. And, and we're going to be able to see a lot of our progress towards phase one of what uh, we are doing in, in our renovations. And, and this morning, I'm, I'm humbled to be able to read Scripture with you. And Scripture is the Word of God, and it's good for you, and you need more of God's Word in your life. And we've been doing our work as a church together in the book of James. And I say uh, we've been doing our work because, honestly, we all have work to do this morning. Uh, the work that I have to do is to be a good teacher. The work that, that you have to do is to be a good listener. And we trust that the Holy Spirit is at work as we do both of these things this morning. Uh, two weeks ago, as we read James, we discovered a war was raging inside of each of us. And I think that mature Christians know what I mean when I say that, uh, that you have a war raging inside of you. I think you have sometime in your life simultaneously felt uh, pulled towards sin and pulled towards righteousness at the same time. I think you know what it means to kind of be in that middle spot. The Apostle Paul seemed to indicate that, that he knew what it was like. Paul would famously say, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I do, I hate. You know, there's that kind of, he's lost there in the middle. There's a struggle between his, his old nature and his new nature. In, in one corner, you have your passions, uh, which encourage you towards sin. And in the other corner is the Spirit of God, which is constantly pointing you towards Jesus and towards righteousness and last week, we examined how that internal battle, that fight between your passions and the lordship of, of Jesus and the Holy Spirit can tend to spill over into your calendar. Time is our most precious commodity. And it can be the place where we can be the most selfish, really. And so last week, we discussed how, how Jesus might, might call you to spend your days. And many of us found ourselves convicted by the, the things that eat up our time. And today, as we read James, he's, he's continuing in that same line of logic and that line of questioning about who is ultimately the Lord of your life. Is it Jesus or is it your passions? And instead of talking about your time today, James is going to begin talking about your finances. In the grand scheme of things, is Jesus the Lord of your wallet? Are you being faithful to steward your personal riches today? That's, that's going to be a big part of what we discuss today. James is going to suggest a, a few ways that, that wealth can actually lead to sin. And so what I want to do this morning is begin by reading together from James chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Uh, it is our tradition to stand when the Word of God is read, so I want to invite you, if you are able, to stand now. And before we read together, let us have a word of prayer. Father... Hear the prayers of your people. We come to you now as we stand uh, preparing to hear your word read. God, we stand expectantly. We stand wanting to know your will. We stand wanting you to be the Lord of our lives. God, as we read this word and as we find our, our passions battling against it, 
We pray for your Holy Spirit to convict and to correct. We pray this in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. All right, hear now the word of the Lord beginning in the fifth chapter of James. Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Church, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. And this is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. First, before we, uh, before we get into our main text in James, I, I want to address one big question. That question is this. Is it a sin to be rich? Does the Bible say that God opposes the wealthy? Let, let's try to understand this question. Is it a sin to be wealthy? Why would someone even ask such a thing? Well, because it appears that in certain places in the Bible, Scripture speaks harshly towards the rich. And it might even appear upon first reading the Bible that, that Scripture is suggesting that being wealthy in and of itself is sinful. After all, if you consider the rich young ruler from Mark chapter 10, this rich young ruler approaches Jesus and he asks him, Jesus, or he actually says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And, and Jesus says to this rich ruler, you know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And then the rich young ruler says to Jesus, teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. And Jesus looked at him, and I love the way it says, it says it looked at, Jesus looked at him and he loved him and he said to him, you lack one thing. Go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. And, and scripture says that disheartened by this saying, the rich young ruler went away sorrowful because he had many great possessions. In this story, the matter at hand is the same as it is in James. It's a matter of lordship. Would the rich young ruler be able to give up everything, all of this money, all that he had, in order to simply follow Jesus. And, and you know what I find interesting, and this is just an assumption, about how many of us are already anxious about this very topic. How many of us sit in the room, and when the preacher starts talking about money, we just get anxious about this topic. We hear the story, and we're just like, oh, man, it's spring break, and it's daylight savings, and he's going to talk about money. And, and like I think when that happens, that should be a pretty good indicator about where your heart is. If talking about Jesus' lordship of your finances makes you anxious, that probably suggests that you really, really love money. 
So listen, I, I want to suggest to you that the Bible does not make an indiscriminate attack upon the rich. Or that not everyone who is rich is therefore sinful. In fact, if we think about it, there are some key players in the Bible who have been very wealthy people. Some some of the, the heroes that we think of of the Bible. Abraham was wealthy. So was Job. So was King David. Josiah was, was wealthy. Philemon was wealthy. Joseph of Arimathea was wealthy. Lydia in the Bible. These are all wealthy people. And all these wealthy people uh, seem to function within the favor of God and Scripture. At least they seem to act as good brothers and sisters, as good as any Reformed pastor can call them, right? I think we say that being rich in and of itself, um, I think we can kind of safely say that, that it's not wrong. The Bible does, does not say that that money is the root of all evil. That's, that's not what Scripture says. You want to know what it does say, though? It says that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It doesn't say that money is the root of all evil. It says that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. You see the difference? It's not having money that makes you sinful. It's loving money that leads to evil. Which is, which is tricky, right? I mean, because if we're really honest, who here doesn't love money? I know plenty of middle-class folks that love money. I know plenty of poor folks that love money. The love of money is not a sin which rich folks have cornered the market on. But if you go to the church and, and, and the topic is money, and all of a sudden you're uncomfortable, that's a pretty good indicator that the Lord of your life is not Jesus, but maybe that just might be that the Lord of your life is the almighty dollar. However, as we uh, read chapter five of James, we're gonna begin with one of the most haunting verses found in the entire New Testament. Let's, if we can, look at, at, at verse five one. It says this, come now you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. James is not pulling his punches. He's acting like, like a prophet of old. He's pronouncing the judgment of God. Let me tell you what, what scholars believe about this verse. Most scholars believe that when, when James is addressing rich people here, James is talking about a group of, of rich people who are, who are outside the Christian community. They're not, not really talking about people who are rich and in the church. They're talking about uh, non-Christians uh, who are outside the community. And so when James writes this, he's not really expecting that these rich people are going to even read these words. The reasons that, that scholars suggest that these rich people are not Christians is first off because James doesn't normally talk to Christians in the way that he's talking to these rich folk. If you look at all the other places where James brings correction in his letter, um, James normally does two things when he does this. First, he calls those that he's correcting brother or, or his, his fellow believers. He talks to them like they're family. And second, James usually calls them to repentance. He gives them uh, correction. He says, stop doing what you're doing, brother. Or, which, you know, that makes sense for us. But, but here, all James says to these rich folks is, weep and howl. For these miseries that are coming upon you, there's, there's no attempt to dress them as family. There's no attempt to correct their behavior. James is simply 
telling the church about these people. He's saying, don't act like these people. Don't envy these people because they're going to receive the judgment of God. It's thought that these uh, early days in the church, many inside the church would have been poor. And they would, these poor people in the church would have been the very people who were abused by these rich people that James is talking to. And so James doesn't want the poor people inside the church starting to envy all these rich folk. So he reminds the church of God's judgment against these wicked people. What's interesting is that uh, even here James lists out, he lists out the specific sin of wealthy people. The point is wealth is not their sin, right? The, the sin is not wealth. Wealth in and of itself is not sinful, but it is dangerous. And James lists out three ways that wealth can lead to sin. And so let's take a look at what James warns about wealth. And, and this is in no way an exhaustive list. Really, there's, there's a lot of ways to sin with money. Uh, this list is based on what James is seeing in his community at his time. And James warns against three things. So, so if you're taking notes here, if you want to think about what he's, he's, he's going to warn against, there's three things. Hoarding. We all know what hoarding is, right? Extravagance and injustice. Hoarding, extravagance, and injustice. Let's take uh, these three things that James sees in the life of the rich Christians of the first uh, century and let's make sure that they don't apply to us. Let's start with, with verses 2 and 3 where James is going to address the first of these financial sins. It's the sin of hoarding. And if we can put verse 2 and 3 up here, we'll read them together. Uh, your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You've laid up treasure in the last days. What James is describing here is massive wastefulness. It's the image of a person who is, who's acquired so much stuff, stuff that they will never consume, foods that will never be eaten, clothes that hang in their closet that they will never wear. Who here has clothes in your closet that you know you're never going to wear? Sure, they could, they could have given them to somebody, but instead they hold on to them and eventually the moths eat them. And they have all this expensive jewelry. It's, it's, it's just corroded because they never wear it. They didn't really need another set of earrings. But somehow one more set made them feel special. Even though they had dozens and dozens that they never wore already. James wars, warns that the accumulation of stuff that we don't need is bad for us. Scripture describes this sort of hoarding as wasteful. We collect all this stuff and it just... It rusts and it, and, it, and it decays. And if we look at what James says in verse 3, he says this. He says, in their corrosion, the corrosion of the stuff that they have will be evidence against you. Think about that. That when we hoard and we have so much stuff that when it, when it corrodes, that that corrosion will be evidence against you and it will eat your flesh like fire. And remember the context here that, that James is not talking to the church. He's not talking to Christians he is pronouncing judgment on a wicked, wealthy people who are outside the church. But all the same, if I was you, I'd avoid the sins that James identifies here with the rich. A few years ago, we had that flooding in Mill Creek. Y'all remember that? And, uh, and we went into a lot of homes and, and got to help a lot of people. And I remember uh, going to one of the Mill Creek meetings they had 
down there um, in the community station by the fire department just down the street. Um, and Daniel Cross was talking, and we were talking about what to do in your homes. And, and there were people who we knew had carpet that was still wet. And there were people we knew who had sheetrock walls that were still wet. And this was two or three days after uh, we had ripped out everybody else's. And, and I stood up there and I said, guys, listen, our church is more than willing to come and help you. Get your carpet out and, and help with your walls. If you're not able to do that, just let me know. And there was a woman who came up to me at that meeting. She said, um, could you come and help my family? And I said, listen, we'd, we'd love to be able to do that. And uh, she said, listen, don't judge me. My house is a little dirty. And I said, well, aren't, aren't they all? You know, my house is dirty too. And, uh, and so uh, I get back and I communicate to a bunch of people in the church here, hey, if you want to help, we're going to help uh, with, with kind of cleaning out this lady's house the next morning. And as we showed up at their house, it became clear to us really quick that this was, this was like one of those uh, TV hoarding things, right? Uh, we, we came in and, and our job was, what we understood we were going to do was to uh, come in and pull up their carpet and to find the water line on their wall and to take a knife and to cut that water line and maybe take a saw and pull out all that sheetrock. What we found was um, that as we tried to enter the house, um, there was a stack of boxes that was probably eight feet tall. And it went back about as far as we could see. And it went about you know, 12 feet wide. There was a den that you would walk into and the entire den was full of cardboard boxes that were full of stuff. And it was stuff that had been ordered um, from probably the home shopping network. There were, and, and they, they just hadn't even been opened. I mean, it was like, it's like they, they'd ordered them, they got something in, they put it there. They ordered something else and got it and put there. It was still in the UPS box. And now all these boxes had gotten wet and they were just soggy and everything in them was, was ruined or wet. And, and there were trinkets and there were gizmos and they'd never been opened. Hundreds and hundreds of boxes and, uh, and so we kind of started this process of trying to help them out. And we began pulling wet boxes from the house and bringing them. And we, we said, what do you want us to do with these? And, and there were maybe 10 of us there. And the, and the man said, well, just, just put them in the yard there. And so we began moving boxes from wet, soggy boxes from the house into the yard. If you were to look down the hall, it was nothing but just piles of clothing, like three feet, four feet deep, as far as the eye could see. It was a helpless situation. Um, the rain was going to come back in a couple days. The carpet needed to come up, but we, had, we were putting the boxes in the front yard, and I kept asking the family, like, what's, what's the plan? This feels like a very helpless situation. We're just moving wet boxes from the house to the yard, and the rain's coming. Oh, is, there, is there something we can do here? Can, can, can we give some of this stuff away? Can we throw some of this stuff away? And you would have thought I called their mother a bad name. It was so insulting that I would suggest throwing anything away or giving anything away. It began to create in them a panic, and they began to almost want us to leave because we were now judging them or, or somehow. And unfortunately, we did. We, we didn't have anything we could do. We came to try to remove the, 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 the carpet or to help with the walls. And after a while, we, just, we had spent probably a good, I don't know, it felt like two hours. And we had made just a little dent in the boxes. And the front yard was already full. It was crazy. And, and we left and we didn't solve the problem. And it, was, and it was heartbreaking. You know why hoarding is wrong? First, it's a sign that you don't trust God. 
You don't trust him to provide for your needs tomorrow, so you kind of just hoard up all that you can today so that you can take care of yourself. And second, it's being wasteful with the gifts that God has given you. Hoarding is wasteful. The stuff rots. It corrodes. And, and remember what Scripture says, that their corrosion will be evidence against you. What's the answer to hoarding? The answer to hoarding is to let things go. Uh, I know most of us have in our minds now an image of like TV-worthy hoarding, of like really bad hoarding. But what if I'm just talking to you, and what if this scripture is for you this morning? What if we were to go and look in your drawers? Do you have those drawers where everything goes? Do you have a shed that's full of stuff? Do you have closets and closets full of stuff? Is the corrosion of your stuff evidence against you? Let's continue on. The second financial sin that we see described in James 5 is the sin of fraud. You guys know anything about fraud? I know a lot about fraud, unfortunately. I've shared that with you in the past with my, my cattle ex- adventures, right? And when most of you think about fraud, you might think about Enron or, or WorldCom, the big famous cases like that where people have been, uh, that people have had others who they've trusted with their money and they've been cheated to and lied to. And the image that we have in James is actually of a, of a large wealthy landowner who has so much property, he's, he's got so many acres, that he has to hire a workforce of poor laborers to help plow the fields and bring in the grain, right? So, so he's got fields, as, as far as the eye can see, he probably hired some guys to help him plant, and then now he's hired these guys to help him bring in the grain. And these laborers would take all the grain and they would fill this wealthy man's grain silos till they were overflowing, and at the end of the day or at the end of the week, when it came time to pay the laborers, those who had filled the silos to overflowing, these landlords would, would fraudulently keep back what they owed them in pay. And let's read it together from verse 4. If we can put up verse 4 up there. It says, Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. So, so this fraud, it was, it was evil and it was unjust for, for two reasons. Really, first, these workers were poverty-stricken. They were working to eat and working uh, just to, to pay their bills and live. And second, it, it would have been harvest time, and that meant that the landowners would have had a silo full of food, and these people would have just put it there for them, They would have had food coming out their ears. They could have paid these workers and not even missed it. It was complete injustice. It's a a picture of injustice. I know that some of you have employees who labor for you. And some of your businesses work based on the labor of others. And so I want to encourage you to be weary of the words of Scripture. It says that the cries of the harvesters will reach the ears of the Lord of hosts. Wealth is not a sin, but being unjust to your employees is. Being unjust with your money is a sin. The first sin of wealth we discussed was hoarding. The second sin of wealth was fraud or being unjust to your employees. The third sin of wealth discussed here in James is self-indulgence. So not many of us think of ourselves as hoarders. 
And, and not many of us think of ourselves as frauds. But all of us who live in this country, we all have the opportunity to, to live lives of, of self-indulgence. Listen, you may not think of yourself as wealthy, but I need to tell you something today. Your perspective is off. You need a reset. If you would like to come with me to Belize in, in the morning at 4 a.m., that's 3 a.m. pre-daylight savings time, this for all of you who are keeping track, I, I want to show you your wealth. Come and see the huts that my friends live in. Come and see how they eat. Come and look at hungry children. It's funny, the last time we were there, the church that's our partner church there is First Baptist, Hattieville. And they decided to make us a meal. And, and I told them ahead of time, I said, we want to break bread with you guys. Do y'all have, and they said, great, we have ladies who would love to, uh, to cook for you. And I said, let us pay for it. We're gonna, we'll send down, what, what do you need? A couple hundred bucks, 300 bucks? Yeah, she sent me down some money. I said, I'll send down some money. And she said, after church, we'll just have a big banquet there together. And we did, and they had, guess what? Chicken and beans and rice. Whew. It's what you eat every meal there, right? And Christy's laughing because she knows this. Um, and so we're there, they've got all this food and they, they've got these plates and they're like, you're our honored guest, please eat. And so we got a fork and a paper styrofoam plate, three sections and chicken and beans and rice. And, and we start getting onto it. And, and they always have this uh, habanero carrot sauce that they put on everything and you gotta be careful with it. Um, it's really good and we start eating. And as we're eating, um, they fed us and some of their adults, but they didn't feed their children because they weren't sure how much food there was going to be and if there was enough for the children to eat. And when I tell you that, that Christy and I were sitting there and we were trying to eat our food and these kids were like at our laps just like looking at us and it was really hard to eat with a hungry kid staring at your food. I don't think many of us did eat. I, I, you know, Gavin and, and I think he was like, hey, are you hungry? And the kids just began to kind of scarf down our food. I want to tell you that you don't think of yourself as wealthy. You don't think this scripture applies to you. But in the grand scheme of the history and in the arena of the entire world, those of us who sit in this room are some of the wealthiest people in human history in one of the wealthiest places in all of the world. You have all the luxuries of life. Uh, you have fine cars. You take vacations to fine places. You live in fine homes. You have fine clothing. Most of you have never experienced hunger unless you're doing intermittent fasting or the keto diet or something, or you're bringing it on yourself to try to look better for your expensive clothes. Like even the poorest in our community would not be considered poor compared to the first century church. And listen, you may not care what I think about your lifestyle, and that's fair. I am not going to evaluate your spending. But you should at least evaluate how you steward the riches you have before the throne of grace. If you've lived a life of not, of not denying yourself anything your heart desires, that's exactly what being self-indulgent means. Let's, let's read this third uh, it's actually from James 5. Let's read uh, verse 5 here. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts 
in a day of slaughter. It's kind of tough words. Remember, these are harsh words intended for rich non-Christians who are, who are persecuting the church. And, and James is speaking like a prophet to them. But that doesn't get you off the hook. John Calvin said this. He said this. He said, uh, we should keep perspective in all of our creature comforts. What are your creature comforts? He says that we should keep perspective in all of our creature comforts. He says that self-indulgence wins no favor with God. Rather, Christ would call his church to sacrifice and to live humbly. So I guess my question is, how are you doing? Does the Spirit of God bring you any conviction from your luxury? Let's go back for just a second and let's review a few things together. The greater context of our text today is that there is a war inside of you. There's a battle for the throne of your heart. The war is between your passions and the lordship of Jesus. And that war spills out onto the battlefield of your wallet and your money. Being wealthy is not a sin. Some people uh, were born into wealth. Some people have gone into a field that pays them very well. And they work hard and they get compensated well. Wealth is not sin However, the love of money leads to many evils. And if you check your heart, you might find that you love you some money. The real danger of money is that it threatens to be an idol. That money wants to be your little God. That it promises you happiness. That it promises you pleasure. That in in our old age, it promises us safety. It promises us comfort. It promises us security. All the things that we are to ultimately look for in Christ. Christ says to those of us who are hoarders, and I'm not talking about the extreme TV-worthy hoarders. I'm thinking about you and me, those of us who have sheds and so much stuff and we have storage units. And Christ would say to us, am I not enough? Why do you need all this stuff? Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Christ says to the fraud, was I not gracious to you? Did I not give you more than you deserve? Should you not have mercy on your fellow servants just as I had on you? Should you not show that same grace to those who work under you and who are poor and around you? Christ says to those of us who live indulgent lives of lavish luxury, it is harder for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. What good is it for a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul? My friends, wealth is not a sin. God does not oppose all wealthy people, but wealth is dangerous. And the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. You cannot serve both God and money. The last question of the day is, who is 
the Lord of your life? And is Christ enough? Let's pray together. Christ, the honest confession of my heart is that at times I really do love money. And it does sometimes make me feel very comfortable. I feel like uh, I'm measuring out my old age by deciding if I have enough money to retire, if I, can, if I have enough money to be safe and taken care of. Christ, I repent, for this is a place where I need to look to you. God, in, in those areas of my life where I hoard, where I have more clothes than I need, where I have more things than I need, more toys, more tools, and they're just rusting, Christ, convict me to share this with others. Father, in the way in which um, uh, I have people who come into my house to work, people who are around me, God, let me be fair with the wages that I pay them. In the way in which I live with extravagance, Father, bring conviction. Let me know where that line is, how to live humbly, how to give generously. I pray this in the name of Christ Jesus, our Lord, and the church said, amen.